Hey Colin, Jason here. I saw the the ad for the five pit merchandise, but I don't think your web store is working correctly. I couldn't get in there. But if you want to go and send me my badge and my big foam finger so I can hold it up at concerts and and conventions and stuff and during live podcasts so I can you, you know spread the spike pit pit crew message, please do. You you got my address. Talk to you later. Searching for moons For an evil ogre in an ancient room Was a fortunate son of the OSR Without a ten-foot pole I wouldn't get very far The ground was murky and I caught a look As the dungeon master opened up his fifth and book And then I fell into a five pit Five pit. An edition what has fives in it. I'm Colin Green, and you are listening to Five Pit. Hey Colin, it's Jay, just listening to, is it 270 with D&D with Jules? I loved it. Um, really, I'm about halfway through, something like that, maybe a little over halfway. Jules has just been giving her three core advice on online gaming, and that was just gold, man. I have to say, thank you for sharing that. I'm loving that, what she had to say, and there's one thing in particular I wanted to pick up on. It's this idea of mentally, emotionally, physically checking in with the players between sessions, like Where's your character? What's your character thinking? What's your character feeling? I love that. And um, something I'd really like to perhaps try and remember to do. Really brilliant tip and so, so useful. I think I kind of do something similar, but uh, it's very much usually focused on what is the character, you know, where is the character and what is the character doing? And the added bit there for me was the whole kind of what are they thinking, what are they feeling? I just think that was gold. So I just want to say thank you for sharing that. And thank you, Jules. Game on. Che Webster of Roleplay Rescue sounds like he really enjoyed the show I'm glad he reached out and uh, really grateful to receive that kind of um, pat on the back and, and a bit of gratitude so uh, it's it's not why I do the show but it is certainly encouraging and I, I just I like to hear that you know other people in the community that are in fact putting out their own quality podcasts Still got time to listen to old Spike Pit and um, and enjoy the show. So uh, thanks a lot for that, Jay. Now, talking of other podcasts, some are not so easily pleased. In fact, some of them even go as far as to sabotage your theme tune. And you may have noticed that at the beginning. Um, and the culprit, his return to the scene of the crime, has got something to say. Hey Colin, John here from Red Dice Stories. Just been listening to your latest Jules Heavy voicemail episode. And yeah, pretty good stuff. Anything I've got to disagree with is the whole idea that you should have to tell P 
people how many sessions you're going to do for a campaign. I know you weren't saying you definitely have to tell people that. But for me, the problem with that is, is when I start running a campaign, I might go, oh, yeah, I guess it's maybe going to take 15 sessions. But you've no way of knowing that. Players like to chew the scenery. Things might take longer. Things might not take as long. You've absolutely no way of knowing at the start. And if you're just going to say, like, oh, well, we're going to aim for 10 sessions, and but we might do more, we might do less, then there doesn't really seem any point saying we're going to aim for 10 sessions in the first place, to be honest. Although, as you know, I am a fan of doing seasons of games just to, like, change it up a bit. But I normally try and do that when you reach a dramatically appropriate... And the whole thing where it was being said that uh, by having a finite length of campaign, it gives people an out if they can't commit to an ongoing campaign. Well, to be honest, I don't know of any gems of someone said, oh, my circumstances have changed or whatever. I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to bow out of the campaign, that there'd be that surety with them. I had someone do it recently in my V5 game. One of their other commitments changed to clash with it. And they said, oh, I'm not going to be able to make Fridays anymore, so I'm going to have to back out of the game. And I was like, all right, dude, thanks very much for letting me know. And we carried on with the three players we got. So I don't really think you need to sort of make that allowance personally. And I think if for if whatever reason you're no longer able to attend the game, you should just be able to say to the GM, oh, look, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to be able to attend the game anymore for X, Y, and Z reason. And just have a discussion like adults. I don't really think these safety mechanisms need to be put in place. But anyway, that's just my tuppence. Oh no, John Large is disagreeing with me. It, it wouldn't be the first time, and I doubt very much that it will be the last. Uh, I'm playing a regular game with John, and uh, we've just kind of finished up a season, and there's been a big change around, and we're going into another season. So I know um, he likes the, the idea of punctuating a campaign. And yeah, I don't think it, it's easy at all to try and get some idea of the time scale of a campaign but when John says you know I think it might take 15 minutes I, I, uh, 15 minutes 15 sessions I, I do think that there is some value in that even if it is a sort of a ballpark figure give or take a session or two either way uh, I mean, in reality, it's more likely to go a little bit longer, perhaps. And I, I, I do think there's value in having that conversation with your players because I think it's more appealing and you're, you're perhaps making your game a little bit more attractive to potential players if they know what they're getting into in terms of commitment. Obviously, some people don't take their commitments all that uh, seriously, and they, you know, they just sign up for a game, couple of sessions in, just blow it out, and you know, well, that's up to them. I personally, if I say I'm going to do something, I like to stick to it, and I feel very awkward about backing out. So maybe, um, maybe it's maybe it's just me to a certain extent, or people with with my sort of personality. Um, I think it helps you organise your time as well, especially if you're in a group like I am with multiple DMs. We typically play 12 sessions and then pass on to the next GM. And ideally, we're trying to wind up a story arc in that time or bring bring the game to a, a kind of a suitable point 
to leave the story, as it were. Sometimes that is going to be like the proper end. Sometimes it just means you're going to pick it up again once a few more people have run some games and then you pick up where you left off. So maybe you don't you don't really count that as like finishing the campaign. I don't know. I, I kind of think it does. But I, th- I think there is a value in, in giving that ballpark figure. But I totally understand John's point. I can see why he might think it's a little bit pointless. I also think um, your style of play, the, the way you run a game, uh, has a bearing on that. If I was doing one of my, say, this idea of a kind of a cube campaign, the 10 by 10 by 10 well, going in, we know that's 10 sessions, so it's perfectly reasonable to uh, say, oh, you know, this is going to be a 10-session campaign. Whatever, likewise, a one-shot. People run one-shots and they play to the one-shot and they make make it work. You don't need to restrict yourself like that, obviously. But I think as as the guy running the game, you, you do have a certain amount of control. And I can see, totally see what John's saying. It, it, is, it is problematic, but not sure I agree that you, you can't possibly know. Um, I think you've got that little bit of control. But thanks for the call in, John. Perfectly valid, and I'll see where you're coming from. All right, so there's more. Also, this idea of limiting your your length of your um, playtime in terms of over sessions, the number of sessions you're going to do. Crikey, I really explained that one badly. Um, I'm with you on it. I've really shifted in my way of thinking um, here. And um, with my forthcoming Han, uh, Webster's Han game that I'm, I'm putting together, I sort of said to both groups that I'm playing with, I'm going to do say three sessions, two or three sessions uh, as an adventure. And then each adventure is going to be sort of specified. And I can never, I could see it's never being more than about six sessions. Um, but I'd like to try and kind of predict it a bit ahead. And if it's less than that, I think that's fine. So I'd rather try to over predict. Um, but yeah, I'm going to do this really short adventures and then allow people the opportunity to bow in and out if they need to. Because I think that will lead to longevity in the long term anyway. Seems like myself and Che on this matter are thinking along similar lines. That sort of a, a shorter story arc, a series of linked sessions, then wrap it up and maybe do something else. Perhaps, you know, continuing the campaign but with a little change in direction, a chance to change the cast of characters, whatever. Um, I, I've said before, we run about 8 to 12 sessions quite commonly in our group, and I find that works quite nicely. You, you've got this um, sort of turnover of, of DMs, gives you a little bit of a chance to recover and maybe don't get burnt out. But, you know, it does come back with a drawback that you... you you perhaps got that little bit of difficulty trying to predict how long something's going to run and, and you might end in a not-so-ideal position. You know, at the end of the day, it's like everything else. There's pretty much pros and cons, but, um, yeah, I'll be interested to s- sort of hear how Che gets on. I'll be listening to his uh, DM's diary for uh, 
the ongoing progress. I know what you're thinking, hold on, this can't be an episode of Spike Pit. He hasn't mentioned the jungle once. Well, that's all about to change. <laughs> Deep in the jungle with wild animals. <laughs> Trying not to antagonize them. <laughs> They're coming in for the attack. Hey Colin, Jason here. I won't try to match her singing, which was excellent, but um, I, I do want to, you know, I only spent a couple months down in Panama. I, I definitely am no expert, but Andy Goodman definitely wins the t- best story without question. That is the best jungle story. He, he definitely gets the crown as the expert. So I'm happy, happy to hand that off to Andy who I will now look to with, with even greater awe than I did before. Colin, Chris, sure. I promise I won't call in for at least another 24 hours, but I was, uh, yeah, as I've been saying, I've been progressing through your back catalog and I'm on episode 17 where you crowdsource for rivers. And I wanted, it's a kind of an interesting confluence, pardon the pun, but it's a, I just got the deep carbon observatory remastered by Patrick Stewart uh, for the, Lamentations of the Flame Princess game system, but I think it's just can be used for anything. And it's one of those leaning towards the more gonzo end of the scale of OSR modules. But it is all about a post-apocalypse, post-deluge, where a river, a dam has burst, and there's a river that uh, has done a whole bunch of floods, flooding, and then the flood has receded, and what is left behind, what is uncovered by that. Super cool. I'm about halfway through. And uh, I highly recommend a Deep Carbon Observatory. See ya. Hey, Josh Beckelheimer here. So I was thinking that there is something that you can do in your jungle game. Is um, do the, uh, just make all the bugs. Not all of them. But every now and then have giant dragonflies or giant mosquitoes. Things that you don't necessarily have to maybe make stats for. But just have them fly by or... They let them be seen like, oh, so this jungle has gigantic mosquitoes, gigantic dragonflies, and other bugs that not, you know, they're not necessarily out to harm or attack the, the players, but definitely it will help build up the, um, the jungle environment in a fantasy world. So, I mean, now they got dinosaurs, monsters, and giant bugs all over the place. Hi, Colin. It's Winston. You're looking for books about the jungle. I recommend, without caveat, The Maneaters of Savo by John Patterson. It's in the public domain now, so it's readily available at Gutenberg and at LibriVox. It was made into a movie called The Ghost in the Darkness, which is uh, you know mostly faithful to the story, which reads something like an overland D&D adventure, including uh, two man-eating t- uh, lions that accounted for more than 350 deaths during the month's months that they terrorize the construction of a railroad. It even includes uh, social encounters where Patterson puts down a rebellion intent on murdering him using uh, only his social skills. Good role-playing indeed, right? Anyway, only about the first third of the book is about the man-eaters, but the whole of it is well worth uh, listening through his exploits through Kenya. Anyway, game on! 
So I've been pretty pleased with how the uh, the jungle theme and talking about my game and, and the setting of Chult seems to caught people's imagination a little bit. Judging by the call-ins, uh, I've had a fair few and quite a few book recommendations. Another one there, uh, this time from Winston. I, I want to check that out. I've, I've got this pile of books growing. Uh, but I think, you know, it's a great subject and I'm, I'm super keen to always hear about more. Uh, Jason, it, talking about really his real life stories that we've had. And then in a previous episode, Andy was calling in with some pretty scary tales of his experience in the jungle. Josh there as well. He's coming up with some ideas, these giant bugs. And um, yeah, it seems like a, a pretty obvious thing to do i don't know why i haven't done it yet uh it's a good idea keeps that kind of almost prehistoric lost world vibe going that that there's already sort of in the setting there's a couple of places that are a little bit more remote in chart where they seem to dial up that lost world vibe so uh yeah i'll follow that up as well um and chris shorb catalog and he's he's talking about rivers there. Strangely enough, it, I've finally got myself a kayak. Now, when I say got myself, this has not involved the uh, exchange of cash money. I was out gardening this morning, and I found a skip outside someone's house where they'd chucked away an old kayak. I couldn't believe it. I drove past it, then I turned around and went back for it. I knocked the door out of courtesy to find out if they really did want to get rid of it. And obviously, yeah, there you go, mate. It's in the skip. We don't want it. So, uh, <laughs> result, it's a little bit old and faded. But I think it's perfectly serviceable. And um, looks like I'll be back out on the river soon. And I've got to say, that deep carbon observatory as well, I think that is a good uh pick i'm familiar with it i believe i've got it on pdf i certainly recall reading through at least some of it so i don't know if i i picked up like some sample pages um but i remember there being a real nasty party of uh, uh like the uh, an um a rival party out to get you know the adventurers and uh they were really quite sinister and really interesting. I need to dig that out again, maybe print myself off a copy. But good recommendation from Mr. Shorb. Just wanted to record a quick segment with an update on a couple of ideas I had. Played last night back in Port Nianzaru in the Grand Coliseum. It was part two of a two-part idea based on a DM's Guild product called City on the Edge, I think it is. And um, the players were engaged in some gladiatorial combat. In a, It was like a large cage fight, a, a 45-foot square cage with these kind of venomous... Uh, man-eating vines on the outside of the cage that lashed anybody getting within 10 foot of the bars uh, that you'd have to make a, 
uh, a dexterity save or suffer one point and be uh, poisoned. The opponent in the in the uh, in the combat was a, a kind of a nasty Kenku beast handler who had four small pet velociraptors, particularly ferocious, two attacks, pack tactics, quite nasty adversaries, and uh, we had three players: our Tabaxi, Dragonborn, and Lizard Man. Anyway, it was a really quite a tense encounter. I don't think I've ever run anything anywhere near that in terms of a lineup, and it went really well. And I got to try out my um, camera idea. So I had a a phone on the call that I could use to get a, a shot of the grid and the uh, the playing pieces so our remote player could see what was going on and get a proper understanding of the combat. I normally run Theatre of the Mind, but I thought as it was an arena fight, it was an ideal chance to try out some ideas and see how it held the uh, my younger player's focus by having this sort of focal point, a little bit of a gimmick with the camera, and I was able to do... What I always love to do, the when you've got a tense moment, the stand-up dice roll could put the camera over the dice tray, make the roll, and then our remote player could sort of join the sort of the thrill of the, as I call it, the uh, stand-up die roll. Um, I was pleased how it went. I thought I'd just share that with you, the listener. Oh, and hearing you talk about DM cam on Google Duo. I was on Google Hangouts the other night uh, playing game and uh, there were just a couple of moments where I wanted to show the players what dice I'd rolled and I found myself doing that. I was I was uh, on Hangouts using my iPhone and I basically just switched the camera facing around and I was able to sort of hover over the dice and show them what I'd rolled. Um, and earlier in the session as well, I'd, I'd kind of take them on a a virtual tour of my hobby room really when I was looking for a book but yeah it absolutely struck me that using the handheld phone um, to do my video mean I could do that and um, this GM cram thing was really powerful so I think yeah there's a lot of value in that and I wanted to just thumbs up that idea too I think you know we're getting steadily more and more creative about what we do with our online gaming and it's fun actually it's an awful lot of fun to muck about with stuff like that game on man Game on, indeed, Che, game on. And I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It is all about getting creative, having a bit of fun and getting that into your game, man. That is that is what I'm all about, so I think you put that rather nicely. Now, not so fun. A little while ago, I was talking about uh, sort of game game book mistakes getting rid of stuff that you didn't want to get rid of stuff you've lost or whatever and picking up on that thread got a few more callers hey colin jason here loved your episode with jules really enjoyed her comments and your back and forth and the ideas presented there as far as gaming i don't know if i've told you about this or not as far as gaming books regret getting rid of when i went from four door to when we closed four door and i went from there up to Fort Lewis, when I was in the army, the um, I ended up not having a whole lot of room to move because I moved myself, and I ended up leaving a box of gaming books there. I gave them to somebody else, 
you know, when I left. And there was a whole bunch of Rift stuff. There was the Wizards role-playing game, There was, which I can't recommend. Um, there was, I, I don't know what was there. There was um, the World of Cinnabar, I think, was there. Um, I, I, there's a whole bunch of junk. And, but yeah, I, I, which, I mean, if I went to another gamer and they made good use of it, it's great. So I guess that's not a bad thing. But yeah, I kind of wish I had made room for that box of books. So. Hi, Colin. Golden Senchman here. You uh, asked whether people had regrets about losing RPG-related stuff. Well, I think I told this. I definitely told this message on Che Webster's uh, podcast once. But I had a friend who, when he joined the armed forces, he moved all his all his gaming stuff out of his room and put it in like a disused coal shed. He cleaned out the coal shed and put all his RPG and gaming stuff. I mean, lots and lots of Warhammer box sets. I mean, Adeptus Titanicus, Space Hulk. Dungeon Bowl, you know, lots of uh, realms of chaos books, you know, figures and figures and figures, minis. Anyway, so he uh, he went away to do his like basic training or whatever it was, and when he came back, his uh, his mum had donated all his uh, I don't even donate, I think he just threw away all his RPG stuff and put Mills and Boone's paperbacks in there. Must be like thirty thousand pounds worth of stuff in today's market. Crazy, crazy man. <laughs> Before I leave you then with a final call in from Chris Shorb, just want to say a few thank yous. As always, big thanks to the contributors Jason Connolly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, John Large of the RDD RPG Podcast, Che Webster, Roleplay Rescue, Chris Shorb, Josh Beckelheimer, JB Publishing, Winston Crutchfield. Uh, he's got a podcast called No Podcast Here and Finally, Goblin's Henchman. Big thanks, guys. Um, couldn't do it without you. Also, I want to say a big thank you to the Pit Crew, my patrons over on the Spike Pit Patreon, keeping me going and growing. And last but not least, I want to say a big thank you to you, the listener, for taking a bit of time out of your day to listen to old Spike Pit. Take it away, Chris. Hey, Colin. Chris Shorb here been catching up on your episodes i'm around episode 33 or something but i did just want to say that uh, it was good to hear the mystery solved about your brother i had only heard him calling in to plunder grounds uh, and heard him referred to as arfid which i thought was some some sort of mangling of the name alfred and it was good to learn the and then started listening to your podcast and heard someone named Darren, i.e. Diz, getting referred to. And I was like, wait, is this a second brother? But it's good to hear that uh, our Fed stands for Rocks Fall, Everybody Dies. And now I know who that is when he calls into other podcasts. Anyways, enjoying the pod. Take care. Bye. I fell into a spark pit. Spike pit. Oh, a pit would have spikes in it.